Blog Talk Radio. the November 1st, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and joining me soon in the studio will be cartoonist Bosch Faustin, I think he's running a little bit late, but he will be here to discuss the events of the day. It's a good thing. Why? Because we have a huge show, tons to discuss after missing the show last week. I'm sorry about missing the show. I was traveling, seeing family, and I also got to see Anthem the Play, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Uh, If you want to go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, scroll down to the program notes on the post for today's show, you'll see links to all the stories that we plan to discuss. And if you'd like to join in live on the discussion, go over to Blog Talk Radio and get into the chat. I also tried putting the chat link out through Facebook and Twitter. I don't know if that worked, but if any of you could comment there in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio, whether you found the chat room through the links that I tried to share via social media, let me know. And I'll try to do that on a more regular basis and maybe get more of you able to find the chat easily. So that would be good. The other way you can participate is by calling 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. As I said, I had a whole bunch of different things that I wanted to discuss today, but I feel like we should at least talk about this story that's been breaking for the last while, which is that there was a shooting at LAX and I'm getting all kinds of pop-up windows when I try to go to this story. Anyway, there's a shooting at LAX, and it was actually done by an off-duty TSA agent, or so reports Drudge. I've got a link to the story, which is at LA Times. Um, actually, no, it's LosAngelesCBSLocal.com. LA Times probably has a story as well, but that's what I've got here. It says a TSA agent was killed, and several other people were injured Friday in a shooting at Terminal 3 at LAX. Uh, They said the unidentified suspect entered the terminal wearing camouflage, opened fire around 9.30 a.m., wounding at least three people. Primary indications show that he was targeting TSA employees. And I'm not sure if he knew which employees he was targeting because one report that I heard was that he was asking people whether they were TSA agents and then shooting them. So I'm not sure if there was a particular, you know, Uh, somebody who was a spurned love interest or any of those kind of stories or whether he was a disgruntled employee, not sure. We need to have more details. One thing I can tell you about the type of people that the TSA hires, it's a story that I've been meaning to talk about for a while, and it's one that I learned of through a friend on Facebook. A friend of mine on Facebook in her travels within the last month or two 
was trying to carry a bunch of cupcakes onto a flight. I'm not sure why. I think because these were particularly awesome gourmet cupcakes that she had picked up and I guess wanted to take uh, maybe to the people at her destination. So she has these cupcakes. And apparently a TSA agent walked by her and said, oh, you know, those look good. Maybe we're going to have to take them, take them for confiscation and testing, ha, ha, ha. And, you know, she had said, yeah, you know, people joke about these things. And, you know, a lot, a lot of times when you've got cupcakes and you're carrying them around, people say, oh, you know, maybe I'm going to have to steal some of those. You know, th- this happens, right? But then she said that this TSA agent persisted and persisted, continued to joke about this. And she was really offended. Why? Because she knew and the TSA agent knew that they have basically full power to do that. And there is absolutely no recourse that you have at the moment. I mean, imagine, you know, that these cupcakes got confiscated by the TSA agent. And then later, what, she's going to file a complaint and stuff? I mean, by the time the complaint is filed, all the TSA agents have eaten her cupcakes and digested them and I was going to say poop them out, but whatever. Uh, you know, it's long gone, okay? Um, it's in the, the sewage facility by the time, uh, you know, the complaint gets heard or anything. So it, it's ridiculous. And these TSA agents, I mean, at that level, they have all kinds of arbitrary discretion to do whatever they want. It's truly, truly disgusting. So when, you know, government has so much power over you and the agents, who are in charge of wielding that power joke about it to your face, truly offensive. Obviously that particular TSA agent isn't necessarily representative of all of them, nor is this particular TSA agent who went there and shot the other ones. But anyway, we will learn more about this story, whether this guy really was targeting only TSA agents, uh, you know, what race, nationality, belief system, he subscribed to, et cetera, as the story develops. If you learn anything, if you want to contribute over here in the chat room, that would be fine. Um, Robert NYC in there says that the link to the chat room works. He says, unless you are already logged in, then you get a retry message. Okay, sounds good. And it's good to see people already over there contributing. So, uh, Bosch, now that you're here, uh, I want to talk with everyone about Anthem the Play and your thoughts about seeing the performance um i loved it i thought it was powerful i thought um it had all the right marks all the right notes it basically it told uh it told the story and told it beautifully uh the actors were excellent uh i think the the uh the choices on the part of um the um director and uh, Chikalila and uh and jeff Bridding, the, the, yeah. the adapter the writer i think were excellent i think that you know it, it left me you know emotionally uh taken and a number of times I was moved at least three or four times especially near the end uh, if you know the story you know the uh, and the impact was far more uh, emotional than any time I had read the uh, novella I guess which is natural it's, it's live it's live actors it's it's a whole experience of it so the whole you know present um, aspect of it you see these characters come to life in a way that really hasn't been done before I mean we know that there was a graphic novel adaptation which we've talked about on the show before, where they said you know they ruined something 50 pages in, but whatever. 
Uh, yeah, they gave away a big spoiler. They gave away, the, they, they gave away the Using point. language that they shouldn't be using 50 pages into the graphic novel. They gave which away was, the point of the novel. Was it 100 and yeah. some odd pages? 140 right? pages, which is weird. I mean, if yeah. you're going to adapt uh, Anthem, you do 50 pages tops because it's visual. It's, you know, the, the story and graphic. Anyway, I'm sorry. It was great. I loved it. Um, it's powerful. Very, very powerful. And very, you, very you moving. Know also, you know also that Britting composed the music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He also did that for uh, Iron Man as a... I ran as uh, I think a sense, sense of, of life. life that's yeah. right. That's it was right. beautiful. Excellent. Beautiful music uh, in that in that film. I remember the opening. I ran a sense of life where his 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 piano kicked in and there was a like a almost like a plane was flying towards the Statue of Liberty and it was haunting and just beautiful. And he did the same thing more or less here. It was just uh, very evocative. Very um, I don't know. It was just really well done. And uh, I'd hope it gains new life elsewhere. Which might be the the idea. I hope I hope it does spread across the country. We'll I know see. I know that we did talk about it last time a couple weeks ago, and it was right after the show. I think that I learned that the play is closing earlier than originally right. anticipated. Unfortunately, closing November third. What I'm wondering, from what I understand, they've had a recent uptick Surge. in sales, and I'm wondering if there were a number of people waiting to the last minute. So if you thought you were going to wait till just before December first to go Do see not it, wait. don't wait. Go see it this weekend, I think, is your last shot to yes. do so. Highly recommended. Uh, for my part, I, I thought, again, the acting was excellent. I thought that there was one element that Britting added to Anthem, and we did talk about that when we interviewed Jeff Britting for this show uh, probably a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him and Ann Chicolella about Anthem, and he had said that he did expand a certain element that he had added to the play, and I found parts of that to be a bit confusing. I think that he could probably, if he, if he wants to adjust it a bit, he could probably cut it a little bit, uh, you know, so trim it, essentialize it, make it a little bit clearer because I was actually a little bit confused. Now, my confusion could be because I had a terrible cold. <laughs> also, it was something um, new. It was something added on. Right. And the one thing I liked about it was that it contrasted the main characters in a way that, you know, these are the people who are clinging on to this world. And you have the other ones who are basically breaking away from it. I like that aspect of it. You've got two individuals, a man and a woman, and two individuals, a man and a woman, doing the same thing for opposite reasons. And uh, I know what you mean, though. I, I, I guess, I, I think because it was something new, I don't know, we, you know, we adapted to it as quickly as maybe we could have or should have, or maybe he can be clearer. We'll see. Yeah, and it, and it could have just been that the actor needed to enunciate a little bit of that Maybe. a little bit more clearly. It just seemed to go a little fast, and I, I was not... It was very intense, right. I mean, uh, the oh, actors, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I also got emotional at the end, and lucky for me, <laughs> I had an excuse because of this terrible cold that I had to have Kleenex right in front of me. <laughs> so whether I was blowing my nose or... <laughs> I got choked up. Or, I mean, or just, crying because of the show, either way, powerful, I had my Kleenex. It's a powerful, powerful ending yeah. in the novel itself, and again, on the stage, brought to life, it just added to that power, to, to, to that emotion. Very good. I thought the, the music was appropriate. The visuals that they added behind yeah. were helpful in terms of adding atmosphere and some content to what was going on. I thought also it was very clever. So, for example, at the beginning, you know, there's a montage of images of collectivist mm-hmm. societies. And you have the 
unquestioning obedience of Hitler depicted, but you also have the unquestioning obedience of the Pope right. depicted. Right. So both secular and religious collectivism yep. were you know, targeted, which I think, of course, makes it even more controversial right. to the audience, which is interesting. I thought there was a great use of the minimal set that they had and the yeah. lighting, oh, using the actual lighting elements as props yep. well, was very well done. I, I loved meeting some of the listeners there. Of course, Robert NYC here in the chat room, who essentially sort of hosted us. Yeah. And uh, then also it was great to meet. It was a surprise to meet Darlene. Darlene yeah. is a listener to the show. It was really, really nice to meet you. And I'm, I hope, I mean, I, I understand that you enjoyed it. You said afterwards that you enjoyed it. But coming all the way down from Boston, that was awesome. Yeah. So uh, great to meet you, Darlene. I also saw Gregory, who I knew from Facebook. And got to meet for the first time a couple, Iris and Paul Bell. They are involved with the NYC Junto. Uh, I think it's Junto. Junto? Junto? I don't, I don't know. know. Um, I don't, Junto is how we pronounce these things here in California. Okay? And uh, they, 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 like, they like our give and take, and, but you called me a curmudgeon. They didn't. You, you did. They said that you were grumpy. I guess. So what do you... Am I, I mean, grumpy? I, I never even thought of myself as, as such. I, I guess, you know, compared to you, I, I might be. I think you are because you're more immersed in news constantly all the time than I am. (laughs) Uh, uh, We we have that all the time, back and forth. Who wants to? You know what? Sorry, just one thing. I was reading the news right before the show. Mm -hmm. You cannot help but get your blood up, and you cannot help but get angry. It's just it's it's disgusting, and I think I might have to pull back a little. I think I might have to. I think I think for I want to be connected. I want to be engaged. I am a news junkie in that sense, but man. I would I would say the once a week format is uh, is good for this show. I think so because too. you dive in in depth once a week, get the frustrations out, analyze because it always helps to analyze the world from the correct perspective yeah. and evaluate it, and then move on. So that's that's what we like to do. So yeah, that's the the sigh and the whole bit this, anyway, this you is were, life you, yeah you so so the thing I like about this group the junto junto I don't I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it but it that is similar to a group named again junto junto uh, organized by Benjamin Franklin in, in the early mm. to mid 1700s he had oh, cool. in Philadelphia their and they would get together and they would discuss a list of questions each week and basically analyze the going on in a weekly basis i mean we could say we almost have a you know junto here uh, on the show because people participate and call in and, and discuss in the chat room and things like that. So it's it's good. Of course, they're more organized. They they actually systematically go through a list of questions, and we just kind of do what we feel like we need to do each week here. But it was very nice to meet them, other listeners. And every time if I go someplace and someone says, oh, I listened to your show, and I didn't know that they listened before. Yeah. It's nice to know. It's, it's nice to nice. know that you're, you're having an impact. It's nice to know sometimes in some cases you're informing people. In some cases you are providing enjoyment. Sometimes you're helping people blow off steam, et cetera. Uh, Robert NYC in the chat room here says that one of the regulars in the group, the Junto, Junto actually he's going to tell me how to pronounce it here in a second because I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, have him on. He's calling in right now. Robert. Hi. Hi, Amy. How, how do you pronounce this? Junto? We say Junto, yes, in, in New York, but it properly is Junto because okay. it is 
you know that's the that's the it is a Latin term and and that's the proper expression uh, proper pronunciation. But we say junto here. So yeah, out, out here in California, we see those J's and we say jalapeno, which I love. I love jalapenos. So um, so yeah. Okay, good. So uh, junto. And you said that one of the regulars in the group is a direct descendant of Franklin. Yeah, Mark Skousen. He's he's the author. He runs the Freedom Fest out in out in uh, Vegas. Uh, oh right, and, right, and exactly, exactly. Cool. Yeah, and I could actually tie him into to Anthem. He was at the he was at the the premiere uh, Anthem <clears throat> uh, performance, and he was really amazed. And even though he's, you could tell he was religious. He asked a few different questions about the the religious terminology used in the in the play, and Yaron uh, Brook properly said that Ayn Rand uses those terms like, you know, revere and, um, yeah. uh, what, you know, other religious, glorious and all other religious terms in a, in a natural, you know, in a more natural uh, scenario. So, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that he is, when you look at the guy and you think of Benjamin Franklin, you could see the, you know, you could, you could see the similarity. So, yeah. um you know, that's funny. Supposedly, and I, I still don't have the details of the genealogy, supposedly I am a descendant of Patrick Henry. Right. And I, oh. have to, I have to try and get that information from my father, uh, see, hmm. if he, see if he actually has it. But I'm, I'm interested to, to learn that. You know, it's, it's not too hard to be a descendant of Patrick Henry because he had 14 children. But <laughs> <laughs> um, not all of his 14 children went on to have kids, etc., but that's... You know, I'll, I'll be interested to kind of see. And, of course, you know, I'm, I'm such a mixture after that, obviously. But I've got Scottish, Irish, German, some other stuff. Yeah. You know, all, all of us are, are mixtures here in America. But in, interesting. So, yeah, I, I, I would I would love hmm. to, to come and meet him. And I was I was very happy to go ahead and meet Iris and Paul at the at the show. So thank you very much, Robert. Now, you wanted to talk about Anthem, not just about Junto, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm glad the two of you had the reaction. I sat right next to you. I'm glad you had the reaction you did because that was my first reaction. And I would just say that the part that you were confused about, Amy, you're not alone. I mean, it is it because it's new and it's not absolutely crystal clear, then I could see confusion happening and I'm up to my tonight will be my ninth <laughs> viewing of the play wow. and each time i find something new but that part that extra th- those extra scenes with the older couple they do they do expand on something that's only implicit in the novel so uh, so i i find it okay perhaps yes i i, I agree perhaps it could could have been um reduced a little bit uh, to, to just keep a, keep a little bit of, of the, the the flow or the pace, but I just absolutely loved it. I mean, for me, there's nothing better to do in New York City uh, on you know on an evening if I know that that's playing, especially if I know that it's closing uh, this weekend. So, and it also gives me a chance to spend time with with out of towners like like you and Bosch, and and just uh, to share a, a wonderful experience. 
right? And and just be there with like-minded people as well, because sometimes interesting things will come out yes. in the conversation that they have afterwards, the little talk back that they have, and then people go out in the lobby and chat afterwards as well. So it's a it's a great way to meet like like-minded individuals as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely, and uh, I do want to make one one comment about the music, which I was mm-hmm. going to ask that, that that Saturday afternoon, but uh, I knew that they were running late on on time. The opening, and this is not really a spoiler, uh, as far as the the opening theme, while we're getting the totalitarian montage, it sounds ominous. The music actually sounds ominous. However, that same exact music is repeated when equality makes his discovery. And I talked with Jeff about that, mm. you know, after, after one of the show, you know, one of the performances. And, and he, he really made a good point that in the beginning there's actually additional non-music, uh, you know, appearing, like sounds that, that, uh, that, crea- that tend to create that. And you have film footage which makes it darker, whereas in, in, the, in the reprise, you're feeling for equality. He's already he's on the way to discovering something, and then you, you kind of experience that with him. So uh, that's just one added, one added element that I, that I found uh, really enjoyable. I, 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 I interviewed Jeff for, for the Objective Standard, and we talked, we talked a lot about the music because I love music, and I know he did uh, sense, I ran the Sense of Life soundtrack, and I even found a few pieces that were all kind of, I thought, overlapped where, where I could spot it where it was inspired. And his answer was, well, it, it is the same composer, so right. <laughs> which right. is, is, is pretty good. So anyway, I, I just, I'm glad you're talking about the show. I'm glad you got the, the uh, positive um, uh, uh, thrill that, that I got, and, and in oh, addition definitely. to being in a room with you know, many like-minded people and, and also just theater people who just like seeing seeing a good show. I mean, the one thing I regret is that I don't live in the area so that I can't see it more frequently like you. I'm jealous. And the other, hmm. of course, is that I was horribly sick during it so that half of my consciousness had to be, yeah. you know, de- dedicated to not disturbing people around me with my horrible cold sound effects. <laughs> so... <laughs> well, you did. I, I, you did a f- perfect job. <laughs> I, yeah, I was. I think I was fairly uh, heroic with that. So, thanks so much again, Robert, and thank you for calling in. And thanks, now, Robert. I'm afraid we're going to have to transition from the world of watching the anthem, the play, which is a wonderful, benevolent place to be. The fact that that is in New York City, off Broadway. If you haven't seen it and you can get to New York City this weekend, go, go, go see it. It will provide you some emotional fuel as it did for for us and then also, like I said, for Robert and other listeners who were there. My transition (laughs) is a tweet. If you go over to don'tletitgo.com, I actually figured out how to embed my tweets. So watch out, people. This is shameless self-promotion time. There was a little game going on on Twitter, and it is Obamacare enrollee names. And the one I put is Equality72521. Yep. That's the name of the character in Anthem. I, you know, I just thought of it not as a way to make a transition from my show or anything. I just thought how appropriate because all of us being pushed into enrolling for Obamacare via various channels. I mean, the whole thing is designed to make everybody, as many people as possible, as many people that they can suck money and life out of, enroll 
into Obamacare, and they don't care what your name is. Your name might as well be a number as Equality 72521 is. It could be that this, you know, this game on Twitter was going around because there were so few Obamacare enrollees. So people are like, you know, since there's so few, we could just have like a list of their names and we could actually, so I wonder what, you know. You can put blank, just dot, 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 dot. I mean, I guess you could do that. Yeah, I I wonder what their names are. So there's this story that was at the top of Dredge before the TSA agent did his worst. And it was that only six people enrolled for Obamacare on day one. So um, let me see what we got here. I got something here in the chat room. Do you know how to do this? Yeah, I'll do it. Thank you very much. Um, anyway, so on day one, only six people enrolling for Obamacare, which is so pathetic. And you can imagine these people because this CBS, is it CBS? Yeah, CBS News Story. I've got a lot of mainstream media stories that I'm linking to today. CBS News Story says Obamacare enrollments got off to a very slow start, documents show. And, Bosch, you know the, this reporter, right? The reporter who actually put this, Cheryl Atkinson? Uh, yeah, re- she's very good. Remind me of her she's story. She's very good about she's Benghazi for the Benghazi, last Benghazi, right. She's the only one who was really good on She's the Benghazi. only one in the mainstream media who really has, you know, been like a dog on it. I mean, every single day, so. Well, now apparently she is At least when on, she was able to, I'm sorry. She's on the Obamacare disaster cover-up. Because she is obtaining documents that actually show some of the early enrollment figures that they're trying to hide, and hmm. literally six. I mean, it's just six it's just, on the first day. It's incredible, you know. And, and all they're talking I mean, about is they're talking about the number of hits on the website, millions and millions of hits on the website. Can you believe millions of hits? I, I mean, I even find that to be BS. I do, I do. I mean, look, Obama voters, they work, quote unquote, once every four years when they go vote. They drag themselves to vote like, oh, God, I got to go. They, you know, do the thing and they go back home to their couch. And so even to get on, on the computer and go there, if they have one little obstacle, it's over. They yeah. just, you know, pull back. So, oh, yeah. uh, that's it. No, and this idea of, you know, actually waiting for the website to process things or anything. Now the website is down, right? And they say they're going to yeah. fix it as soon as possible <laughs> right. or some such garbage. But, yeah, so here here are the figures. So it was... Six in the first day. Then by Wednesday afternoon, you know, it opened on a Tuesday. So Wednesday afternoon, the 2nd of October, approximately 100. By the end of Wednesday, 248 enrollments nationwide. (laughs) Now, what are the goals? Right. Their goal is to have 7 million by March 1st, right. 2014. And the CBS story here is reporting that in order to meet that, you know, just do some arithmetic, that the average per day enrollment needs to be 39,000. <laughs> I mean, this is just, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it, well, first of all, we know it's not meant to work. We know that it's not meant to. It's meant to crash and put in the, the uh, single pair. But I don't think they even expect this. I mean, this, this no. Was, and also but, one thing, you know, when he got these libs like uh, John Stewart trying to distance themselves and mock them, it's just because they're embarrassed. They want single pair. They want socialism. All, I mean, oh, yeah. All you in. know, so many people are making a lot of hay or trying to make yeah. a lot of hay out of Jon Stewart's criticism of Obamacare and the... It's not uh, a you know, the, criticism. He's on board with Obamacare. He's, yeah. It's just that he's embarrassed. Again, they want socialism and they want excellence, which is impossible. 
which is absolutely impossible. So that's why, you know, they, they, they get embarrassed at this crap. Well, and, and what he's doing is he's saying, look, I told you it, was, it should be single payer. Yes, he said that. It literally. should be single. That, that's his, his whole agenda yep. is to show Obama and the Democrats that they should have just done single payer and, and, sh- and shove that down our And throat. according to John Stewart in his own twisted mind, probably, that it would be great if it was single payer. It would be honest and upfront and it will work beautifully. Of course it can't. No. Of just course. can't. No, of course not. Now, the thing I like about this story is the picture that came to my mind when Atkinson is describing, you know, how they share the figures with each other. It says, early enrollment figures are contained in notes from twice a day war room meetings yeah. convened within the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services after the website failed on October 1st. They were turned over in response to a document request from the House Oversight Committee. So that's how Atkinson got the document. But imagine you've got all these supposedly high-level government bureaucrats, and they're having these war room meetings. <laughs> they're saying, oh, yeah, we got five more, you know, that enrolled. You know what comes and- to mind also? Well, 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 you say, and then I'll say it. Well, but, but imagine, too, just imagine. I bet they ordered a bunch of really expensive champagne <laughs> oh, on no, taxpayer money. It. You know, they're all prepared. It, 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 it's like, it's, you know, we're, and we're in NBA season again, so I, my mind can't help but go to <laughs> basketball. But, you know, the, the teams, when they're playing in the finals, both teams, like if they're, suppose they're at a game seven. Right. Both of the teams are prepared for a championship yeah. celebration. Yeah, to get the champagne. And one of them is wasting yep. a whole bunch of celebration Which supplies, right? And that's what I'm imagining that these guys did, you know, that they were preparing for a huge pat, you know, pat themselves on the back, have a big celebration, tons of expensive champagne at taxpayer expense. And then they're sitting there looking around the <laughs> table going, well, yeah, six, six signed up, you know, today. <laughs> I mean, they just, I mean, I think they're shocked that there's no real mass support for them. I mean, there isn't, you know, and these, the people who want, quote, unquote, free health care want to sit back and get it. They don't want to do anything for it. Not at all. I mean, all. even go on, literally put their butt in a chair and go on the, on the computer. That's, that's too much work. So this is just, it's, it's, it's amazing what, what, what it has exposed, even more so, oh, how yeah. terrible this is. Uh, it's just funny. You're sighing now, Bosh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I think you affected me. Yeah. <laughs> in the chat room over here, 72521, we have a 72521 in the chat room, says, sorry, Equality 6, and then Equality 404. Uh, Robert NYC says, six idiots, I mean people. Yeah. You know, Robert, so again, that game that was going on on Twitter last night, which was Obamacare enrolling names, the other one that went over pretty well, I, I like it, is inverse lottery yeah. winner. Right. Because right. <laughs> those six people, I mean, I'm sure that there were more who tried that first day, maybe yeah. a couple hundred. <laughs> and who gave up after the first time of trouble. But these six were the inverse lottery winners because now they're finally realizing that they have to actually pay yes. for Obama. And they're literally shocked. I mean, they're literally shocked about it. And they said this. Say, I, I don't know how to pay for it. I didn't know how to pay for it, and they're pissed off. And this is the nature of the mentality who votes for Obama. This is who they are. It's, it's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's shocking to get to fellow Americans like this. In a lot of ways, Obama voters are Europeans, so there's 50-plus million European Americans in, in this country. Sick. Yeah, definitely. And really, we are going to get into a little bit of the more substance about Obamacare. It is, yeah, no, but I mean, everyone's, oh, the website and the glitches. It's the whole premise, the whole idea. The whole, the whole premise of government using force 
to manipulate people and make people do things in the healthcare industry, make the consumers buy things they don't want, yep. make the insurance make the insurance companies offer only the products that have the government stamp of approval. I gotta say, et cetera, you know, et a few days ago, Mark Levin was really impressive. In particular, he was talking about how immoral it is. You really get that, especially from conservatives, that kind of language, how immoral this is. And it's absolutely immoral, fundamentally immoral. And you, and you said Mike Lee also uses that language, oh, yeah, he is did. that right? Yes, he did. To me, it's even better when you hear a politician. Yes, exactly. If you hear a politician yep. talking about an immoral government policy and yes, actually saying that it is, it is immoral and saying it from a context of him probably actually understanding yeah. why it's immoral, that, oh, is, that is amazing. What I'm going to ask you later, Bosch, yeah. is what does Mike Lee say about abortion? I don't know what he says about abortion, but I, I'm assuming he's, Ted he's, he's on board. He's on board with, me, yes. Ted Cruz is giving me the heebie-jeebies. Yep, he's on board, as far as I gather, with uh, I haven't Ted used heebie-jeebies for so many years, but suddenly that's the you term know, that came to me. I mean, these guys are so on point, and then they want, they need to, I guess, appeal to something. And it, it, whether they believe in it personally, privately, you know, keep it to yourself. I mean, you, you want to express it at a certain time, but just make, it, make sure that you also express that I cannot and will not try to change laws in this yeah, country. Yeah, but Cruz but went beyond that. Cruz went beyond that because he said he's cheering the appellate court's upholding of abortion restrictions in Texas. So yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that later. But yeah. let's go ahead and continue on things that we can all agree about right now, which is that Obama is full of crap yeah. when he – According to the headline that I've got here at another CBS News story, he stands by his promise that you can keep your plan. Okay, yep. now listen to the parsing. It the is, lying. It is so disgusting, right? He says he says you know uh, all these insurance companies they're sending notices to the consumers and they're suggesting to the consumers that they're losing their coverage. Quote from Obama somehow because of the Affordable Care Act. End quote. Now, the somehow, you know, right. this is this is the true plateness. You know, he doesn't want to talk about the messy details. You know, oh, they're saying it's because of the Affordable Care Act. He's like, well, we didn't make you do it. Yep. Well, listen yep. to what you know he means when they say, well, we didn't make the companies do that. Mm. He says he argued, however, that consumers lost coverage only. Because CBS has them. only in the wrong place. That is a pet peeve of mine, CBS News. Oh. You've got to edit. Um, they lost coverage only if the insurers altered those policies at all after the law took effect. Let me read that again. He says the consumers lost their coverage only if the insurers altered policies uh -huh. at all after the law took effect. So this, is this, this is this grandfather thing, right? Yeah. So what they actually told insurers is they said, oh, yeah. You can keep offering the same plans to people, but if you make any alteration in those plans, which you would do always, probably every year you'll make little alterations as a normal part of doing business, right? You're going to do it, um, it you know, if, if you're actually going to do that. So uh, – uh, sorry, we got a we got a call here, so I got so I lost my uh, train right. of thought here. But yeah, if if you're going to make those alterations to part of doing business, he says, oh well, it's no longer grandfathered, and now you have to cancel those people's policies, no. and you have to offer only the type of policy that the Obamacare legislation approves of, which means no more true insurance, right? Nothing that is actually insurance anymore qualifies as insurance 
under Obamacare. And what do I mean by that, right? We've had a discussion a couple times with Jeroen Brook on this show about insurance, the concept of insurance, insurance as a gamble, as you basically saying, I'm gambling that I am better off giving this insurance company a little bit of money each month on the promise that if something bad happens to me, right? If something bad happens to me and I need health care, that the insurance company is going to pay for that health care. The insurance company, on the other hand, is betting that they're better off, you know, taking your money and and making that, that they think that they're going to lose, uh, actually make money. They'll make profit off of conducting this sort of business. It's all gambling. And there are a number of people in the country who say, well, I would rather pay for most of my health care out of pocket and buy only a catastrophic policy, perhaps with a very high deductible that doesn't cover all kinds of stuff, not to mention birth control and maternity care and, you know, all the various things that they're shoving into this, right? Uh, But no, no, no. Obama actually doesn't believe in insurance, and that's the other kind of self-serving little Twitter thing that I put out there on don'tletaco.com. It's... This is 140 characters, so I was pretty proud of it. I said, for Barack Obama, I tagged him on Twitter, insurance isn't a health care plan. In any insurance, you know, normal insurance where you're actually just insuring yourself, yeah. that's not a health care plan. Right. He rejects the idea of insurance, and he insists instead, and I don't put instead on Twitter, that we pay in advance for health care. Right. That's what you're doing with Barack Obama. So he could say, well, you know, insurance isn't a health care plan. That's all there is to it. Um, now, what did I do? I went all over the place. This is funny. Let me go there and let me go here. Yeah. So he says, yeah, I, I'm standing by my promise. Uh, you're not losing your coverage because of the Affordable Care Act. If the insurance companies were happy to keep the policy that you have exactly the same, right? right? then you could have kept it. Because it wouldn't affect them at all, right? I mean, you must So, so, you know, forget the idea that the business reality is that they do have to make changes all the time. And probably also also, there are pressures to make changes that come from Obamacare itself. Naturally. Also to stay in business, which is what Obama wants them not to be in business. He wants to wipe them out. That was the whole goal. So he says, uh, today his promise, you know, he says, today that promise means, right? So he's changing the meaning of the promise. My new promise He says, to, yeah, to, to, you know, yesterday the promise may have meant to you that uh-huh. you're actually going to get to keep the plan that you liked and you had. He says, today that promise means that every plan in the marketplace covers a core set of minimum requirements. He says, insurers, quote, can't use allergies or pregnancy or the fact that you're a woman to charge you more, end quote. So you're a man. Your health coverage should cost less because there's all these female things that cost more. Ah, suck it up. Just pay more into the pot to be redistributed, mostly to bureaucrats, to drink champagne in the war room when six people enroll in Obamacare. She was speaking in front of the Obama zombies, right? Who were clapping probably. Oh, I'm I'm sure, but didn't he also get heckled during that speech? He did. Well, it was for something else, though. But but that's fine. I mean, anytime he gets heckled, believe me, good. Whatever reason. He says, a fraction of Americans with higher incomes will pay more. Oh, but, you know, what and do this, you care? I mean, you know what? Okay, the five. Can't watch anymore. Plus Beckle. The, uh, oh, my, he's a disgusting pig. But anyway, 
he says something terrible, right? He was basically informed that, well, millions of people will lose insurance. He goes, well, you know. Yeah, the current, you know, what the are you current projections are that yeah. about 10 million people yeah. will lose their he, insurance. He doesn't give a rat's ass. He's like, ah, we know, whatever. And just, then and, and literally, Perino, literally, if you hear him, he says, what are there in the country? I think 310 yeah, million so people what? or something. Yeah, 10 million. Says, well, it's just a small fraction, you know. That's, and, that's, and, and Dana Perino, who... I'll, Bosch doesn't really her, like I'll that I'll call much. her per, per, Perino this one time because, her? She, because she was good. She was good. She kept saying to him over and over, Bob, you don't care about the individual. Which is in, And she says, look, Democrats, this is what you've elected. Actual. You don't care about the individual. You which don't care about the small business. Beautifully put. You know, that's, that's the proper response to that. You don't care about the individual. And he doesn't. And neither does Obama and the whole gang. It's very good. Now, this is interesting right here in the chat room. We have breaking news, courtesy of Ed Powell. Thank you for posting this. He says, the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit just ruled that private businesses with religious objections to the mandates in Obamacare do not have to abide by Obamacare mandates. He says, this is a huge victory against Obamacare, even if it is by religious plaintiffs. Of course. Sure. A- sure. Absolutely. Anyway, it, it can be fought. People, you know, why, do, why the hell should they be forced to support things that they, that they morally can't? Wh- whoever they are, wherever they are, wh- wherever they're coming from, why? Because Obama tells them so? No, exactly. And again, I'm in favor of having abortion be legal, but I am strongly against forcing, forcing any private organization to pay for abortions when they are I mean, morally opposed to it. That's... That's crazy. Why Birth control, yes. any any of the stuff. Drug treatment programs. I mean, I don't know what all is in Obamacare, but there's a bunch of stuff that a lot of people were not buying before. It was so funny because Megyn Kelly was speaking to some hack. Oh, Who was the hack I she was speaking his to? Name. I'm trying to remember. He's a, he's a disgusting pig. Anyway, she was pointing out to the guy. He, he says, oh, these were... Uh, horrible. What what was the name that he kept trying to say about the plans? Junk something. I don't know, but he was basically uh, trashing the private sector insurance companies and something where, as as in Obamacare is good, these are evil, terrible companies. You know. Yeah. And the, just, the, the plans and, that and people and, and, liked were just horrible, disgusting and trash he kept plans. Using, he kept using the same term. I think it's a talking point. Oh, it is. It must be a talking. It's point. a new talking it's point. Definitely a talking they point. said refer to that as with this term. Yeah. I forgot what it was. And and he and he was saying, oh, nobody wants to buy those anyway. Right. Nobody wants to buy those anyway. And everyone wants to buy Obamacare? She says everybody was buying them. What are you talking about? People Uh, were buying plans that made sense given their individual circumstances. Also, notice this one thing. The use of the term marketplace from Obama, the anti-marketplace president, the anti-capitalism, anti-free markets, marketplace. He goes, there's a new marketplace out there. And they're using this term. It's it's like when, when the Muslims use the word peace to describe Islam. It has nothing to do with it, zero, but they know that people like peace, so therefore we'll say people know that, that, that they like, in general, the marketplace, so they'll use that term in order to undercut the marketplace, to wipe out the insurance marketplace. No, he has no idea what a market is. He wouldn't know it if it slapped him in the face. No, he wouldn't. Frank and, and Pallone, you know what uh, Jared puts in the room? Frank Pallone, that was the hack who, who uh, Megyn Kelly went, went back and forth with. And then, Jared, do you remember the term that he used to refer to the plans? It was a very derogatory slang it. type of term that yeah. he used to refer to these plans that people uh, were losing. And, you know, it's, oh, they don't want that junk. It's like, you know, junk food plans or something. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it was. But let's, let's go on to this other story here. Uh, who is it? that actually supported this rule that led to all of the insurance cancellations. Mm. Big surprise, uh-huh. Senate Democrats. Yes. And here I am. 
I'm looking at a story on CNN. Yeah, I've been looking at CBS, CNN, CNN. You know, the other thing I need to mention is this show today, I almost feel like I have to use Hillary's It Mm. Takes a Village, which I hate using, but I have so many hat tips for so many listeners for today's show, all these different stories that were being sent to me. This particular story was sent to me by Couldn't Be Writer on Twitter, and you can find the link to his Twitter over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com next to this story. But the headline is, Senate Democrats Supported Rule That Led to Insurance Cancellations. And it says that the Senate Democrats voted unanimously three years ago to support the Obamacare rule that is largely responsible for some of the health insurance cancellation letters that are going out. September 2010, you know, this is the thing, it's all bait and switch. Yeah. They passed this thing, what, March 2010? Yes, they did. September, Senate Republicans brought a resolution to the floor to block implementation of the so-called grandfather rule, warning that it would result in canceled policies and violate Barack Obama's promise that people could keep their insurance if they like it. Oh, so actually it's not bait and switch. It was in the thing, and the Republicans tried to save us from this. Okay, so um, here is a quote from Chuck Grassley. Uh, talking at the time about this rule. He says, the District of Columbia is an island surrounded by reality. Only in the District of Columbia could you get away with telling people, if you like what you have, you can keep it, and then pass regulations six months later that do just the opposite and figure that people are going to ignore it. Oh, I see. Okay. So here's what happened. Obamacare's passed. Regulations pursuant to Obamacare were implemented or published or whatever it is that this, you know, they, they delegate, the Congress delegates their power of legislation right. to these regulatory agencies. Which, and so I guess this grandfather rule, totally designed to put them out of business, in effect, yeah. is there. So, so the, the Republicans, I guess, seeing this, tried to save us from the grandfather rule regulation that was put out there. So, I mean, you know, imagine, not only was the legislation itself rammed down our throats, Imagine all the regulations and the horrible things that they do that have been rammed down since. But Grassley and others tried to save us from it. And he says, uh, you know, you can tell people, you tell these people if you like your plan, you can keep it. Then you pass regulations six months later that do just the opposite. And you figure that people are going to ignore it. He says, but common sense is eventually going to prevail in in this town. And common sense is going to have to prevail on this piece of legislation as well. Um, and then it says the administration's own regulations prove it's not the case. Under the grandfathering regulation, according to the White House's own economic impact analysis, as many as 69% of business, businesses will lose their grandfathered status by 2013, be forced to buy government-approved plans. That's the whole thing. Any excuse to cancel the private insurance that you have, whether you are an employer buying a plan for all your employees or a private individual who is happy with the plan that you had. I've talked about in previous shows that both Aetna, um, I think Aetna stopped carrying private individual insurance plans completely in California, forced out of the market. And the other thing is uh, Anthem. Anthem Blue Cross sent out notices to people that their plans are going to have to be canceled and they're going to have to buy one that complies with Obamacare. So it's truly disgusting. And, uh, you know, one of the things is they are expecting these insurance companies to just suck it up. Yep. 
and remain in business and basically offer all the things that Obama has on his wish list and offer it for the same price that people were paying before, which is ridiculous. And the way they vilified these companies, this is these are evil people. You know, they should get all the vilification. They should get it all from from one side to the other. But I don't know if as many people are buying as a buying it as much as they used to, because even even liberals are looking at this, saying, "What the hell is this?" No, and and that was the theme of of Sonny's. Yeah. video this week, which I really liked. We'll talk about in a second here. Jared in the chat room here over at Blog Talk Radio, he says that Pallone. Frank Frank Pallone had called them just lousy and a scam. I guess that's so, true. Yeah, that so, you know, talk about total lies and misrepresentation. Yeah. These are lousy, pl- and he kept saying, they're lousy and nobody would want to buy them. And Megan, she's too polite. I'm sorry, yeah. Megan. First first of all, you're the host, Megan. Yeah. I would cut that guy's mic off. Absolutely. And I would, say, I would say whatever. Yeah, it's fine. I like her demeanor a lot of times. Okay, fine. Don't, you don't have to be in your face. You don't have to be jerky O'Reilly or any of that no. stuff. But just cut the guy's mic off. Say, I'm so sorry. I had to cut your mic off because you wouldn't let me speak. What I wanted to say was you say that the plans are lousy, and yet all these people bought them and wanted them. And you say people wouldn't want to buy them, that they really want the Obamacare no. plans. No, I think that they wanted what they had before. They bought it on a free market. And if they wanted to buy a more frills, so to speak, as they call it, plan that costs them more money, they would have done it. Can I digress for one second? Sure. Since you brought up Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly said the other day, uh, you, you know, we've got to give Obama a break, you know? Basically said yeah. that we have to give a break to the guy who's trying to break America. We have to give him a break. He's trying That's to be all. popular and sell books. He's, he's Mr. Populist through and through. Yeah. That's all he is. Yeah. Uh, what's popular? I'm for it. Uh, you know, the the other thing, too, is is they're, they're basically saying, oh, the insurance companies could continue to offer these plans if they wanted to. <laughs> I've heard some of the guys oh, say yeah, that, yeah. which is garbage. Yeah. The law says yeah. that once these grandfathered plans are such that the, the company wants to make changes to them in order to make them still profitable for the company to offer – Forget it. Done. Now they have to offer an Obamacare plan. They can no longer offer true insurance. There is no more true insurance in this country after Obamacare gets its way. Because eventually, all of the private plans, they're going to require changes. I mean, there's changes in technology such that they have to at least say, okay, like for instance, um, I know because I'm a woman – uh, they now have a new 3D mammogram. So, I mean, I don't know how long that technology has existed, but suppose that your particular policy doesn't say anything about whether a 3D mam- mammogram versus a regular mammogram is covered, okay? So they're going to have to make some notations. So you see what I mean? That inevitably they're all going to have to be changed. If they're changed according to this rule that the Republicans weren't able to knock out, back in 2010. Thank you for trying, Grassley and other Republicans. Mm. Um, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not impressed with these hacks. I know, I know, I know. in I the know. end, they did not fight it. When they, in the moment of truth, last month, they did, did not fight did it. Did Grassley vote pr- appropriately? I, I, I don't think he did. Oh. I think that hack voted. Okay, the way forget Grassley. So and, but they thought they, they thought they can say, we're against it, we don't like it, but you know, it's not the way to go. No, 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 no. no. You don't give Harry Reid that kind of power. Uh, anyway, anyway, we'll see. So, one second. So, also, about, no, no, no. sorry, the criticism about the pre-Obamacare uh, medical system in, in this country, they, I mean, they, they always leave out, leave out the fact that the government has already perverted the medical, the medical system in this country for years and decades. 
So whatever criticism they may have had was government-based. I mean, it was right. all government-pushed. So that's just, you know, it's a be- I mean, they keep trashing right now. They're trying to say that this is the great, great, great healthcare system that we should have had from day one, uh, trashing the previous one. Where it was, they're already they're trashing government healthcare in order to push government healthcare. Right, right. You know. Their idea that we had any anything like a free market <laughs> exactly. before, and and their constant refrain is evil insurance companies yeah. making profits, doctors making oh. too much money. Doctors are never paid enough as far as never. I'm concerned. Well, actually, we will, we will talk about <laughs> right. one story in which I think that right. they're being paid too much for a particular service, but that's, it's not a service. It's a disservice. We'll but talk about it in a second. But, but, but here's the point that I, I did want to make. Um, private insurance is gone, at, and, and, and there is right. no such thing as insurance anymore. What there is is, well, it's sort of insurance, but mostly you are prepaying for a list of services that Obama thinks that you should be paying for. And those services are going to be provided in a bare bones manner in order for anybody to scrape any profit out of it. So it's basically everybody's going to get the same quality of the list of services that are mandated under Obamacare. It is full of total horrible nonsense. Um, Eileen in the chat room is uh, making a point that is right in line with what I wanted to say. And just... It bears repeating, but I hope everybody understands. I think insurance companies should make a profit, and I don't have the exact figures. I trust Greg Gutfeld for this, at least, which is that he has been saying time and again that the profit margins, the insurance company profit margins are pretty pitiful, and they have been pretty pitiful. I think that, of course, like any company, companies are in business to make a profit. They don't stay in business unless they make a profit. You you know, if, if you're sitting there and, and you're berating an insurance company to, you know, n- not make a profit, mm-hmm. that, that's ridiculous. You're saying basically you don't believe in a private industry. Because healthcare is not a right. That's right. Healthcare is not a right. And all you need to do. Wait a minute. Is, when I was born, I was born in a hospital, right? So this is uh, health, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, just look up the great speech that Leonard Peikoff gave years and years ago. I'm thinking 93, 94, yeah. entitled Healthcare is Not a Right. Uh, just Google Peikoff, P-E-I-K-O-F-F, and then Healthcare is Not a Right, and it'll come right up. It's published a number of places. Just take a look at that. You do not you know, get born with a right to a complex technological service <laughs> to just be given to you for free. You know, that means other people have to be enslaved to pay for it, or the doctors have to be enslaved to provide it, or a little bit of both, which is what we have today. But no, people shouldn't be making money on medical care because we all need medical care. Oh, it's so horrible. So instead, what do we have today? Instead of the private providers on a voluntary market of either insurance services or medical services, instead of them making money, And again, making money on a free market where you have choices to buy these things or not, instead of that, what we have is we have people making money off of Obamacare. And Eileen here in the chat room put a link. So go to the chat room over at blogtalkradio.com. It's a New York Times story. It looks like it was just published. Um, Actually, it says published on November 3rd. How could it be? Oh, it's for the magazine. So the November 3rd magazine. It says, the president wants you to get rich on Obamacare. What's this? Yeah. P. 
people going, you know, they're going to make money off of a piece of legislation. And that's one of the worst perversions in the free market that we have right now is that people are betting. They bet on what, on where the government is going to point its gun next. That's how people make money by predicting where the government is going to point its gun next. You are pitiful people if that's your life and that's the way you make money. Tim in the chat room says profit is what makes any business enterprise worthwhile. Exactly. Uh, We don't work for free. Last time I checked, we were not slaves. (laughs) Not yet anyway. If you like your constitution, you can keep it, right? Robert NYC said that he went to Peikoff's uh, Medicine, the Death of a Profession at the Ford Hall Forum. I yeah. know the talk and, is. And healthcare is not a right was repriest. Yeah, definitely from that talk. Ed in the chat room said he was there too. See, you guys could have met up in the chat room years mm-hmm. ago there, but instead you're meeting up in the chat room mm-hmm. here over at, at Blog Talk Radio. That's, that's excellent. Anyway, blame the Senate Democrats for this rule. They voted unanimously to uphold this regulation that has caused the cancellation of the plan. So again, you want to blame people? Blame, of course, the Obamacare legislation. Blame the fact that the regulatory agencies were given the authority to make this grandfathered policy rule, this rule that has caused the insurance companies to cancel the plan that you liked. And moreover, blame the Senate Democrats who shot down the legislation that would have eliminated that rule. How convoluted is this to figure out who to blame, right? But you've got a piece of legislation, you've got an administrative rule made pursuant to that legislation, and then you have the people who voted against an amendment to legislation that would have gotten rid of the rule. As I've said before, Ah. I think, uh, especially during election time, it should be referred to as Democrat care. It is the Democrat Party. There are no more good Democrats in Washington. None. They all want this. And they will vote for it. They would vote for it again if they could. And and listen to how phony they are, right? Here's the story. Again, I'm over at the CNN uh, blog that I've linked to at DontLetItGo.com. It says, Senate Democrats like Mary Landrieu, Jean Shaheen, Mark Pryor, Kay Hagan, and Mark Bigot. Is that how you pronounce his name? Bigot. Bigot? Is that right? Bigot. Oh, Bigot. <laughs> it says, all of whom voted against stopping the rule from going into effect... Oh, God, a bunch of negatives. Uh, <laughs> voted against stopping well, the rule. This is CBS, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This is CBS? Actually, this is CNN. Oh, okay. CNN, which is uh, <laughs> capitalism, no, no. Yes. Okay, there we go. So we got the double negative part in there, Communist too. News Network. Or capitalism, yeah. no, no. One of those. Okay. So they all voted against this rule that would stop, or blah, 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 whatever. They all voted to keep this rule that destroyed your insurance plans in effect. And since then, now, now conveniently, because they're up for re-election, yep. they, have supported, they have supported delaying parts of Obamacare. That's why I call them Democrats. Don't let them get away with it, people. Do not let them get away with it. Eileen in the chat room says that Medicare is going to bankrupt the U.S. in 2024 and that this has been known since the 90s with Hillary Clare. Hillary Care. Uh, nothing new. Only the individual mandate is new since Hillary Care. So, uh, just yeah. one thing, uh, uh, Chris Christie. Uh, There's a Chris Christie update. He said that he did not hug Obama. He did not hug Obama during the Sandy uh, storm uh, when, when when he visited New oh, Jersey. Oh wow, we're talking about Chris Christie, and suddenly I'm I'm craving chocolate. 
Okay, whenever, this is a rule now, whenever uh, we mention Chris uh, Christie, we have to eat mm, a piece of chocolate mm-hmm. in, in honor of uh, mm. Chris Christie. What is Chris Christie's view of Obamacare? Um, who, who likes it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what do um, you like about it? It's, it's, it's government, government control. He loves mm-hmm. government controls, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. he actually backed the uh, Medicare expansion in New Jersey, meaning bring on Obamacare. Bring it on. So what, so. Is, what is the chocolate that we're having today? By the way, we need to get sponsorships from chocolate companies for this part of our broadcast. Ghirardelli? Ghirardelli. Ghirardelli, intense mm-hmm. dark sea mm-hmm. salt soiree. Mm-hmm. Dark chocolate with sea salt and roasted almonds. Mm-hmm. Now, this is too good for Chris Christie. He probably eats the extra milk chocolate with, uh, you know, chocolate within chocolate within chocolate. Yeah, this is pretty darn sweet, but I think intense dark is probably not sweet enough for him, so... Well, that was great. Hopefully that prevented me from having the, what is it that uh, Tony Schwartz would say that I have about 10 seconds of actually being asleep during this two-hour period? Is, is that right? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So that's pretty sad if I'm actually asleep Bye-bye. during this two-hour period. If you want to talk about Obamacare, its implementation, anything that episode? it's doing to you personally. What's the name of the episode? <laughs> you, Bosch wants me to repeat the name of the episode. If you don't like Obamacare, you can keep it. That is our topic for today. Call us, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Uh, that's my 10 seconds of being asleep. 760-888-5817. You are listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard. Amy Peikoff is here. Bosch Faustin will, I think, be back in a moment. One more thing about the Chris Christie. He said, I did not hug him. I don't want to know what else. I, don't, I, want to know, I don't want to know what he did behind the scenes, but he said publicly I did not hug him You know, when, when the cameras were there. So publicly, he did not hug Obama. As if that's the most essential thing. <laughs> he virtually hugged all of his policies, so I don't, I don't even care. Anyway, so we are out of the story of the Senate Democrats. You know who, whom to blame for your insurance policy that you liked, even though someone from New Jersey said it was lousy, Pallone. It's lousy. You bought you bought a lousy thing. I mean, you know that these people are so contemptuous of Americans. They say, "Oh, the, the choice that you made of what insurance was best for you, given your particular situation, no, it was, it was lousy. You didn't want that anyway." If I ordered it, if I bought it, I want it. I mean, imagine you're in a restaurant, right? You're in a restaurant. You order a dish. You want that dish. You want to eat it. And then suddenly some government guy, let's think, oh, I don't know, who could it be? Bloomberg, right, comes over and he just pulls that plate up from out and he says, no, no, you can't have that. Here, let me give you this other thing. It doesn't have any fat. It doesn't have any salt. You know, it tastes like hell, uh, but it's so healthful for you. That other dish that you thought you wanted, it was lousy. Same exact principle. And I don't care that it's healthcare. Again, healthcare is not a right. Healthcare is a commodity, a service, a product. And it is offered properly on a free market. People pay for it. And yes, people should make money off of it, as with everything that uh, people provide. But again, if you go back to the Obamacare enrollee names, Equality 72521, what is it that Obama wants? He wants an egalitarian utopia. He wants everybody to have exactly we're very close to the same thing. And he wants you to have what he thinks you should have. And, and if you don't have what he thinks you should have, whatever your choice was is lousy. Let's go on to another point that 
Irene, excuse me, not Irene, I'm sorry, Eileen, I'm sorry, Eileen, Eileen in the chat room was making this point a little bit ago, but it's actually one of the stories that I plan to discuss today. Another CNN story, hat tip Rob Abiera, listener Rob Abiera here, and it is that Obama is pressuring the insurance companies to keep quiet about Obamacare problems. Of course, those of us who can read between the lines and actually know what government involvement in medicine means, when we get that letter from Aetna or Anthem or whatever your company is, and we see that they say, oh, we're sorry, we're going to have to cancel your plan and that we are going to offer you some plans to choose from that conform with the Affordable Care Act requirements or whatever the verbiage is, right? We get those. We know that it is the Obamacare legislation that has caused the insurance company to cancel yes. my plan. We can read between the lines, but there are a number of people who, who can't. And so that they would... Well, some people can't read. They would benefit from having the insurance company representatives explain it to them in black and white. I am so sorry that we can no longer offer this to you. This is what the Obamacare legislation is doing to us precisely. This is why your policy is more expensive. This is why we have to offer you all these things you say you don't want. This is why you're no longer allowed to buy real insurance, insurance in the pure sense in this country anymore. Medical insurance, gone no longer allowed to exist. I mean, it's basically, it's prohibition. It's prohibition yes. on insurance. Very well put. That's, that's really what it is. Anyway, it says, insurance companies made a deal with the devil. You know how that ends up. And it says, last night, CNN's Anderson Cooper spoke with investigative reporter Drew Griffin about an increasing number of reports suggesting that the Obama administration is putting pressure on insurance companies who might speak out against Obamacare. Quietly, it seems, the White House has, quote, kept its boot on the neck, end quote, of any insurance company that would dare complain about the new law or its implementation. And apparently what happens is, is that if you speak out, if you're quoted in the media, you're going to get a call from the White House, pressure to be quiet from the White House. And I mean, here we go again. Tomorrow, these regulatory agencies could pass a new administrative rule crafted such that it will apply miraculously only to the one insurance company that just spoke out in the New York Times or CNN or whatever it was, yes. and suddenly they're out of business. You know, uh, speaking of in or out of business, you, you want to hear how just slimy Beckel and his ilk are, right? Mm -hmm. that, you know, Beckel was saying, oh, you know, the, the stock prices of the insurance companies have gone up. Oh, look, the stock prices of the insurance companies went up so much. Stock prices going up means absolutely squat diddly nothing. Right. If I haven't seen Jonathan Honig in the, in the chat room, but if he was here, he could attest to that. The stock price going up means nothing. First of all, it's a bubble because these guys are going to be put out of business. The whole point of this is to put private insurance companies out of business or to take them over by government, in which case, oh, yeah, the stock price will go up just like the stock prices of all sorts of things in Atlas Shrugged went up but it meant absolutely nothing. It right. doesn't mean anything solid about the so-called fundamentals of a company. And the thing to look at again is profit margin. To what extent is the company providing a value that people want and able to do so at a profit? What are the profit margins of these companies going to be in the future? I don't know. Now, some people are saying that some of the insurance companies, they're 
padding the prices a little bit because they can't predict what the effect of Obamacare will be on right. them long term. They're like, like, justifiably like everybody else. The chaos. They, th- th- yeah, they're concerned about the expenses they're going to be made to incur. So I bet that there is a little bit of that going on. And there might be some companies who reap an unexpected profit because maybe things aren't quite as bad as they predicted this year. Right. But it can only get worse. Of course. That's the nature of force. Force, which is what government's doing here. They are forcing. They're forcing insurance companies to change their way of doing business. They are forcing us to buy products we don't want. They are forcing doctors to put all of our private information in this huge database, waste all sorts of time and resources. Force, force, force. Force is not productive. It doesn't produce a value. It can only destroy. And therefore, all these companies, they can only eventually go out of business. We all know this. We all know this. And those of us who know this, we don't need the insurance company to tell us explicitly in black and white or on an interview or be quoted that it's Obamacare that's causing these problems. But anyway, if they do try to make it explicit, Mm. then they are being pressured further by Obama. And again, he has so much power, so much power, more power than any president has had really ominously. Here's uh, some, you know, information from the, interview i guess it's is it robert lorry who was interviewed no no it was griffin it was griffin who was the the interviewee and he says that government back plans account for 48 percent of health care policies government back plans account for 48 percent of health care policies so this is a number that's expected to grow this year and in years to come of course so, so basically, insurance companies are in a position to be quiet for fear of offending who is ba- the people who are basically their biggest customer, government. Yeah. Government is their biggest customer. So not only does government have this great power to pass these regulations that will destroy them, it's also their biggest customer that they're trying to make happy. So um, the write-up of, uh, I guess, it's, is it Robert Laurie? I'm not sure. Um, who who actually did the write-up. But it says, this is Obama in a nutshell. He says, an abiding love of crony capitalism has given Obama influence over the private sector that no politician of either party should have. He says, the federal government has grown so huge that entire industries are reliant on cash confiscated from the American people, and the president is using that to silence his would-be And Cooper didn't uh, silence him? He allowed that to stand, as said. Apparently. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. This is CNN again. and uh, so, so, sorry, so we're all racist now. I guess I we mean, are. No, because we're, I mean, they're criticizing Obama, we've been criticized, so we're all racist now. Okay. I, I, I guess that's true. Because, you know, all... the only criticism you would have is because you're a racist. So if, if Anderson Cooper allows someone to criticize Obama, then he's racist. The, the explanation could be the one that Sonny gives that we'll talk about in a second. But the explanation could also be the lack of ratings, which Drudge was talking about this morning. They said CNN has had the lowest ratings ever and Megyn Kelly is out on top. So maybe they're trying to actually report the truth. I guess. But also, you know, in a sense, they know, a part of them knows Obama's going down. They can't go down with them. Ultimately, they had to go on record. Like Chris Matthews the other day was going on about Benghazi, how they should have done something. When did he ever give a rat's ass? It's over a year. He did it because I think he has to go on record and say, I said something about that here on this date, okay? Don't forget that. 
I think that's it. Because they can, they, I mean, they need to somehow, some way right now, criticize Obama. And uh, they're racists, you know, right? If you criticize Obama, you're, you're racist. So. We, are, we are all racist now. We're it's, all racist it's now. It's completely true. Yeah. So let's get a little bit into some substance, and this is just a preview. And, and you see the little, these little snippets and stories all the time. This one was sent by Rob Abiera, and it is a story from the Daily Mail in the U.K., and the headline is, Revealed How GPs, General Practitioners, Are Paid a 50-Pound Bonus to put the elderly on so-called death lists. And the whole story, I read it earlier, you can go read Sorry, it. Sorry, put if the unwell-connected um, well elderly. Well, if you're connected, you know. I don't know if it's connected or not connected, because listen, listen to the, the okay. story. So uh, you can go read the story if you want over at, at my blog at don'tletitgo.com, read the whole thing. But in essence, what these GPs were told is that they would get this bonus to have a certain conversation with their patients uh, they're patients who they thought might die in the next year or so. And it was basically, what would you prefer to do in terms of, you know, your death? Do you want to be on the life support systems in a hospital? Okay. Or, or would you rather die in the wonderful comfort of your mm. home? Because it turns out that, you know, you save the National Health Service right. of Britain about a thousand pounds if you don't die in the hospital. So your patriotic duty really is to die at home, <laughs> right. regardless of whether you're getting the proper medical saying. care. If there's that is no way out. If yeah. there's no way out, I think the rational choice for an individual is say, Yeah, I want I want to check out. But they want to probably cut that corner I said well well and and they know. are cutting corners yeah. so for instance and there's another story that they refer to in this story here and I guess they had broken it a couple of weeks ago and it was that once you actually fill out or sign this directive to say that you prefer to die at home you know without all this extraordinary care that if you call for an ambulance they actually won't take you to the hospital yeah. After you signed that. After. Yeah. Yeah. So for any reason. So so the GPs have the conversation. They get the person to sign up the thing that says that they want to die at home, and then if that person actually calls for an ambulance and asks to be taken to a hospital, oh no, so sorry, you signed this thing. Even if someone's at their home who needs that ambulance, like a politician. That's a wall. <laughs> no, no, but I mean the actual I, I know, person, that, that person, right, is not going to be taken to the hospital. I, I mean, so yeah, sign away everything. I mean, in in some cases, I mean, you know, doctors. They think you're going to die in the next year or two, whatever it is. If you cut yourself but, pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, there's things that <laughs> hospitals can do to save your life and prolong it with a good quality of, of life. And you might know that you happen to have one of those things right now that the doc, you know, hospital could treat and you're not going to be in there on your deathbed. Yeah. And no, the, you know, the ambulance won't take you to the hospital. So this is just a preview of the kind of thing that awaits us under Obamacare once everyone is forced to prepay yes. for the base level quality of service. Anyway, I, it's, it's just too much. So there's that. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is a celebrity. Some of you may or may not remember her from Three's company, Suzanne Summers. She is writing for the Wall Street Journal just a little blog article. She says, the Affordable Care Act is a socialist Ponzi scheme. Yeah. That is not mincing words, although I wish she would have said Obamacare. But she said, you know, she's had the opportunity to watch the Canadian version of affordable health care in action. And she gives 
you know, some little snippets about how you can get better veterinary care than you can get medical care. Uh, she had a sister-in-law who had to wait two months to get to a general practitioner. Two months. During this period, she spent her days in bed vomiting continuously, unable to get any food or drink down because she couldn't get an appointment with the doctor. When she finally did, the doctor said, oh, you don't need me. You need a specialist. Then it took another two weeks until she got a pill that corrected the problem. And she said, really, is this what we want? She says, all of my husband's cousins are doctors. Several have moved to the United States. Because after their years of intensive schooling, they want to reap financial rewards. Guilty. Horrible. You know, you work so hard. How dare you want any money, says Obama. But anyway, uh, she says, my 75-year-old Canadian girlfriend was denied treatment because she was too old. She died recently having been given palliative care, just, you know, pain relief. And that's it. That's all the system would allow. So, um, she says, is affordable care a good thing for retirees? She says, perhaps over time it might work for you, she should say, if you don't get too old and you don't get too sick and you don't live too long. She says, but frankly, the economic ramifications with our already swollen debt load don't add up. Retirees who are on Medicare will suffer the consequences of $700 billion of Medicare dollars instead being used to cover Obamacare. In essence, less dollars for seniors, less service. Not fair. She says, the boomers are going to take a hit. And an Obamacare too old has limitations of service. She says at the very end, she says, um, the Affordable Care Act is a greater Ponzi scheme than that pulled off by Bernie Madoff. Mm. So it's pretty damn good. Good for her. Um, she should also advocate that we get rid of Medicare, but that's a whole other story for another day. What do we got here going on in the chat room? Earl says that he thinks it's just as well she called it the Affordable Care Act because that's what the left calls it. Yeah, and so the left is starting to dislike their own medicine. Yeah, actually, you're right, Earl, because this affordable, affordable care. Affordable, you know. Yeah, affordable. I can can afford a bull. Can you afford a bull? (laughs) But you know what I mean? Affordable crap. Ah, so we need we need a little comic relief, and actually, what you need the comic relief is maybe after this show is over. Go over and check out Sunny TV. She's been on the Daily Caller regularly for several yes, weeks yes. now. Very cool. And her latest a wide is, audience, always better. Her latest is "Hey, Obama Zombies, Bite Me," <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think she actually says that in the course of the video, but it's kind of a funny title. Uh, but she does, of course, show the followers of Obama as zombies, yep. and she says that hey, there's one thing that might be making them. Wake up from their stupor. Right. And it is, yeah, basically the sticker shock of realizing that their own insurance policy is being canceled, that they're going to have to pay so much more for their own insurance. I mean, how stupid were these people? I mean, really stupid. This is what Obama relied on. Again, he goes, I got idiots who support me. Let me take take advantage of that. And when it happens, yeah, they'll they'll get a little angry, but so what? Because it will be in. And that's what Bill Maher, the idiot, the lowlife, Bill Maher, who said basically Obama should have been shouldn't have been as blatant about it. But basically, if he didn't say that, it wouldn't have passed. Think of what he's saying. Meaning, the only, the only thing important is that it passed. How it passed that doesn't matter. That it's unethical doesn't matter. That it's, it's terrible doesn't matter. It's it's the Platonist idea, you know, from Plato's Republic, where the philosopher kings were justified in forcing, you know, the guardians and the people who were in charge of the city 
just to have them go ahead and basically lie to the population, tell them lies for their own benefit, yeah. and everything's fine. So you know, protect as, them from as, the truth. As, as long as you know, I, I could. I still. What comes to mind over and over is that language from Obama. He says that promise now means yes. It's right? disgusting, and, you know, he, and he gets you, with it. I mean, you, you, you might know, have thought that the promise that if you like your plan, you can keep your plan means that you can actually keep that plan. But no, now it means this other thing, which is that you're going to get this great plan, yes. whether you like it let or me, not. Let this me plan, say I also. say, is great. Let me say something about this also. I mean, about Obama, his whole presidency, all the crap, right? I think the left believed in their mind, this guy is so slick, he can make anything, you know, even crap smell good. That's how good he is. And they realize that he can't do it. First of all, nobody could do it, but they thought he could. They said you can put all these horrific, irrational policies into play and still make it work somehow. Because look at him. He's Obama. I mean, he could do anything. It's, and they started to realize that they were idiots at, for even believing that. I mean, again, again, it's pure, pure Platonism because Plato, of course, had the idea that the superior dimension was this world of the forms, this consciousness dimension, and you know, another dimension, and that this world, the world of material things, is a pale reflection. From him to Kant com- to Obama. Completely imperfect and flawed. In Yeah, and it came, again, you know, Plato came through Kant and everything. But, yeah, Obama and Sibelius, right? I think we talked about Sibelius before. Mm. No, actually, I, I think I posted about Sibelius. I called they it said, what, uh, whatever care the old day, yeah. according to Sibelius. Sibelius doesn't care about the details. She cares about the policy, complained one article. And that is exactly pure Platonism. <laughs> right. This, you know, up in the clouds, we, you know, have this envision of a purely egalitarian market for medical care. Everybody gets the same great care. Forget the fact that it could never actually really work. No. Right? That, that medical care doesn't grow on trees, you know, et cetera. Uh, Mark Levin, the radio host, was saying uh, this week, again, in particular, it was very good. He goes, it's impossible and immoral. Mm-hmm. It's impossible and immoral. And he kept going on about it. And he was talking about philosophy uh, across history, and it was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I'll talk about it later on. If, if I make this connection, we'll see. I'll bring it up later on. Robert NYC here says that he respectfully disagrees with you. He says that people evaded that he was an absolute zero, but they hoped yes, that, he would be the Messiah. No, that's the point. In, in their, no, but in their mind, their hope comes with reality. They believe it. Once they believe it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if they don't. You know, they actually believe this is the guy who can bring us to this place that, that we always wanted to go and make it seem cool and make it work somehow. It doesn't matter how. I mean, he'll, he'll make it work. That's what I'm saying. It was absolute belief. It was faith. Well, and then he's going on to tell the insurance companies, in effect, if you know from Atlas Shrugged, the, you'll the do famous something. line. Exactly. Yeah, you'll, you'll find a way, Mr. Reardon. Yeah, you'll no, do something. You'll do something. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just, just do it, okay? I need you to do it. I have this vision, and it's your job to make it come it's true irrational, in reality. It's doesn't matter. You're going to make it work. Square the circle, damn it. Square the circle. And they thought this was their guy. They thought yeah. he could do it. He could pull it off. No one has ever been able to, ever, in history. But they thought somehow he could. And it's, you know, it's, this is, this is the this nature of, of that mentality. This little link that I have to my Facebook page is not actually shameless self-promotion. It's that I so want Zach to... says magic hair. That's very good. Magic hair. It's true. Um, it, I want to talk about a couple things that are, I have over there. One thing is I have a friend on Facebook who has a, a small business. And she was talking about the small business has been paying for good health insurance for the handful of employees that they employ. But now, because of Obamacare, they are being penalized for providing this health insurance. Starting January 1st, 
small business owners will be taxed 2.3% of the amount of the premiums. And of course, the premiums are expensive, right? It's called health insurance tax. She said plus 1.3% of the premiums, which is called transitional reinsurance tax. What the hell? Hmm. Plus 0.2% of premiums, which is the exchange tax for California, because, of course, whatever beautiful website in exchange California got set up, they also got a power to tax people. Then also 0.02% of premiums for what is called a risk adjustment tax. Hmm. So they're considering basically canceling the policy for their employees, giving their employees a raise, that will allow them to go buy insurance and say, forget it, we're not paying all these taxes for this, you know, insurance that we're providing. They're providing insurance. It, it just doesn't make sense. And I don't blame them one single bit. The other thing I wanted to look at over here on Facebook is the tremendous reaction that I got to the post of the story about, you know, if the promise, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. And um, you know how they're doing. They're parsing, Right. You know, Froda over here, who's a listener, he says that it depends on what you mean by keep and plan. And then D. Jason Fleming chimes in. He says, and you, <laughs> right? And any word in there, they're going to parse right. that you, you plan, keep. You know. right. As I said to them, insurance is not a health care plan. A health care plan means prepaying for yes. whatever they think you should prepay for. Yes, for others. Um, but But again, I mean, you don't even have to parse when you just say, that promise now means this. Yes. <laughs> I by by fiat, I change the meaning of the words of my promise to yes. say that it means this other thing. I mean, you, you don't need to parse and when the, you just the audience, declare they, they that. Still bought it. Steve <laughs> Steve Butterboss says Obama's lips are getting increasingly purple. I think his constant smoking is robbing them of oxygen. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and Henry over here on Facebook, he says, it is all about Obama's definition of insurance. If your plan does not meet his minimum requirements, you never had insurance. Yeah. You cannot lose what you never had. This was an observation that he heard from someone on Fox. That's the whole thing. They're buying into this. Yeah. You know, they're reading all of this fancy stuff into his if you like your plan, you can keep your plan, period. Yep. That's all he said. Yep. And he said it with a, with, with a little smile sometimes. I wish he was under you oath when he said it, because then he could be held in contempt. Yes. Tom actually watched the video instead of reading the article, Oof, which is what I did. And he said, tough. this is infuriating. How did I watch that and why? Exactly. Um, exactly. Tough to watch. Oof. Lee over here on Facebook. It was interesting. You know, he says there's a corollary to the observation. He says, although I cannot lose what I never had, I apparently can lose more than I don't have. He says, I say this because last year I had nothing. He's meaning he had no insurance. He says, but it was free to have. This year, however, the price of having nothing has gone up. He says, I don't mean that rhetorically, you know, in such a, yeah. a failure of being innate in its design right. or something, he says, but rather in the sense that I will be among the penalized mm. and that having nothing has become a commodity I must purchase. Mm. That's very good. Well said. Yeah, very good. And sad. Lee, very cool. Well yeah. put. Yeah, def definitely well put. And, and, and as I said, sad. <sighs> having nothing has become a mm. commodity that I must purchase. Interesting. Uh, that's just you know, and, and the ones who who pay for it most are those who have been responsible. It's it's basically from the responsible to the irresponsible. It is uh, the redistribution of wealth, of health, etc. Sick, 
So I think that we have beaten Obamacare to death, and I think we're going to go on to... I hope we didn't. I mean, right? So, so it's over? Obamacare's oh, dead? You I just mean, said we beat it to death, right? So that's in this the, one show... To the extent that a talk show host oh. has the power to oh. do anything so about it's, it, it's, I think we've done it. It's still active? It's not repealed? Yeah, and we will, the... we will continue, of course, to discuss oh, it as, as is relevant. Again, go watch the Sunny TV. The one thing that I love is, is she talks about how there are people in this country who apparently can't, she calls it extrapolate, but you know, she means conceptualize. They cannot conceptualize that this government intervention in the healthcare market is going to actually mean something with respect to them, that it's going to do something to their individual concrete insurance policy. So she says in order to wake them up and have them not be zombie, I don't know zombie lore, so you can tell me the <laughs> technical terminology I don't, I don't about like zombies. zombies. But I mean, in order to turn them into not zombies, you have to show them the details of their own actual insurance plan and what is happening to it. Because, you know, the fact that you talk about it, I mean, especially Beckel. I wish Beckel the most horrendous insurance <laughs> adjustment Absolutely. ever. Because that seems to be the only thing that's going to wake this jerk up yeah. from the, oh, 10 million people, what's so that? What? Oh, yeah. who cares if 10 million people can no longer Look, get Bob, the insurance? Bob Beckel does know? not drink before or after the five. He drinks during it. But go on. Yeah, oh, my God. I mean, look, supposedly um, he's an ex-drunk. Oh, please. Please. He comes on and slurs the words, every word he says. Anyway, we, we, will, we will now transition into the segment that discusses the potential people who might come to save us from this mess. One of them is the man we call Rick Sanborum. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. What's he doing now? Newsok.com. Thanks, George thanks, Willis. Thanks to Rob Aviera for sharing this. This is a George Will Right, column. right, right. I've read, okay, I, yes, yes. For, for Rick Santorum, the fight goes on, and it talks about, you know, he's... The fight against reality? He hasn't decided whether he's going to run, but he's doing everything consistent with running, including visit all these places and give speeches and bore people to mm, death. And Mr. Social Issues. Blah, The blah, social blah. issuer in chief. So here's the money quote, and Rob pulled it out for me very nicely. Thank you very much. I feel like I have a little bit of <laughs> helpful research staff or something, but th thanks for sending yeah. these, Rob. No, Rob has been very uh, consistent about that. Here's, uh, here's Santorum. So he, he complains in some ways. He says, you know, there's a two-front civil war within the GOP. He says the party is in danger of becoming a one-legged stool. He says there are the Eastern establishment types who want to saw off the cultural conservatism leg. Now, I would say if there is a leg of cultural conservatism, which I guess there is, and we will see in a minute, saw it off, get rid of that darn thing. Yes. Uh, but Eastern establishment types aren't the only people who want that gone. And right. that is one message that I talk about with this show. There are a lot of us who want a government that is limited to its proper size and scope. And nonetheless, we do not want government getting involved in issues of personal faith and belief yep. and lifestyle Private. choices thereof. Keep it we to want yourself. We want to you know, uh, keep your focus, faith. Yeah. You know, keep your faith dot 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 to yourself. Go on. That's, that's right. Um so then he says there that the, there's a libertarian faction exemplified by Senator Rand Paul who wants to saw off the strong foreign policy leg. And then I want to say asterisks, well maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But the other thing is is that if by strong foreign policy <laughs> he means Bushism. you mean you mean neocon? Yes, that's what it means. Good riddance neocon. Get the hell out of here. I reject Enough. I reject the Paulistas or whoever those people it's, are it's, called. It's, I re I reject their, you know, uh, what do you call it? Isolationism. Yeah, it's welfare warfare. And that's I, re what it is. I I reject the neoconservatism, so 
anyway, so I don't I don't fit his little thing. And then he plus, says, sorry, furthermore, plus he's so bitchy about this. If you notice, if you hear him speak, he's always like pissed off about this stuff that he's not. Well, he know, he, I, I, de- he deserved to be the nominee, and he deserved to win the presidency, and he's <laughs> right. pissed off that nobody gave he's it like, to him. He's like, come on. He's like he's like a temper tantrum kid. Yeah, he really is. He's such a sourpuss. Yeah. He says, uh, Americans, you know, here, here he is wishful speaking. He says, Americans are not ready for a dramatic withdrawal of government from their lives, wow. end quote. And some, you know, some could argue, well, that's true. Well, you know what, though? It should not be. Fundamentally, it should not be. This is, this, this is pathetic, Me, meaning I'm going hey. no, to buttress this big government. I'm going to keep it going. Yeah. Because you're not ready for it, so I'm going to expand it even bigger now. I don't think it's true, first of all. No, but what I'm saying is people will argue that, well... You know, again, there's this idea that we deserve the politicians. We we got into this last week. We deserve yeah. we deserve Obama. Please, we don't deserve. We're we're too good a people, too decent of people to to deserve to come to the earth like Obama. But this idea that uh, you know, I mean, he's preparing himself for for saying, look, I'm gonna keep the big government going. Don't worry about that. And I might even push it a little further, but in moral ways, quote unquote, moral ways. Anyway, I hope that he stays gone. That yeah, he go, stays. Go become the, the the pope when this guy drops dead. Please be the next pope. Go for it. He he is a he is a big government Republican yes. who also wants to shove his moral ideas down my throat. Big God, big gov. Uh, Every, everything. He's the he's the uh, he's the empty sweater. The empty the empty sweater vest. He's no better than the Democrats who are in favor of the big government scheme because he's trying to tell us what we are or are not ready for. And he's doing it just to be hopeful. He's saying, well, I hope the American people are ready for that because then they'll vote for me <laughs> right. in 2016. Right. Oh, my gosh, that I could finally win, which, record, is, which is what I deserve. I'm entitled to win. He's also head of this uh, <laughs> a movie studio, believe it or not. Is he really? <laughs> yes, I think oh. they're pushing Christian films. and That's so silly. I mean, really, it's like. Are the movies any good? I saw a preview. That's all I need to see. Okay. That's okay. All. Let's go over to our friend Andrew McCarthy, who yes. wrote a nice piece for National Review Online. Again, you can find the links to all the stories that I've been talking about Andrew's today at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Check them out there. The headline for this one, published October 26th, is The Republican Embrace of the Welfare State. The Republican embrace the welfare state. Excellent title, Andrew. And he essentially first thanks Krauthammer. Uh, Krauthammer, yeah. That's Demi Krauthammer. Demi Krauthammer, we'll yeah. call him now. For proving him right, for putting an exclamation point on what he had been already saying, because McCarthy had already been saying this, that Republicans, the GOP leadership in particular, are more sympathetic to Obama's case for the welfare state than to the Tea Party's case for yes. limited government and individual liberty. Absolutely. And you know what? This one, mm-hmm. I think, important um, note. There's a, a piece called uh, Building a GOP Majority on Quicksand by uh, Daniel Horowitz on Fox News. Mark Levin read the entire piece the other day. I think this is in sync with this. Just read this one part right here, this one little Pull, pull quote right there. Okay, right here. He says, conservatives need to confront the fact that Democrats enjoy a de facto 75 to 80 seat governing majority on many critical issues. With their fellow Republicans, with McCain and Lindsey Graham and all the other hacks, they will always vote for them, vote with them. So in that sense, they have a vast majority in the Senate. Sorry. Yeah, we need to get those get them out. big Republicans. Kick anyway. them into the Democrat Party or out of politics. 
also one of the quotations from Krauthammer from this interview that Krauthammer did with John Stewart. Yes, he felt very he felt very it's, at it's right home here. there. Let's just say Krauthammer is is unquestionably accepting. Says yeah. uh, McCarthy here. He says the great achievements of liberalism. Quote unquote, as as Deborah Krauthammer says, the great achievements. The great achievements of liberalism. Yes. Which, the, which he was liberal years ago. By the way, he was a writer for uh, Mondale. Just for the record, this guy was a hard leftist. Yeah. So he, he came to the right, I think. I think he's a George Bush uh, Republican, if you know what I mean. A liberal Republican. Right. He says, uh, Krauthammer pronounced that today's conservatives unquestionably accept <laughs> the great achievements of liberalism. This is quoting from Krauthammer now. The achievements of the New Deal, of Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. The idea that you rescue the elderly and don't allow the elderly to enter into destitution is a consensual idea accepted by conservatives, at least the mainstream of conservatives. Now, I'm end quoting from Krauthammer. And then McCarthy goes on to say, with due respect to Charles, he says, no, the New Deal and the centralized welfare state that is its progeny, is accepted by the mainstream of Republicans. Yes. What Charles describes, moreover, is a fanciful portrayal of what the New Deal did as it is of what conservatives believe. And McCarthy goes on to say, basically, that he believes that either the individual states should be responsible for a safety net right. or that... I mean, it's funny. He kind of contradicts yes. himself because he slightly he does. Yeah, I mean, look, he basically says government shouldn't be involved in it at all. Let but, me see, let me see if I can find right. that. Uh, yes, I got that also. That I, passage. I that. You know, I, I try to do a paperless show, and the it was so good overall. I didn't even want to mention, but yes. Yeah, yeah the, the, the hazards of a of a paper paperless show is that you have to but, search. But, for the but McCarthy but here it is. refers to conservatives. He prefers something himself and Mark Levin and a Ted Cruz type, which are the best. Right. In the conservative movement. The best. Yeah, they are the best, but they're not yes. they're not exactly where we are. So he says government you know, he says oh he says private charity is, you know, the best vehicle for this, the social safety net. He says private charity is reliably based on need. It will target the people whose straits are truly dire. And then I thought of the band Dire Straits. <laughs> That's my eighties brain. And then he says government to the contrary is a poor delivery system for social welfare because redistributions of wealth determined by politicians using the compulsory force of law are inevitably made based on political considerations, i.e. buying votes rather than need, end quote. And then he talks about, well, if you could have welfare policy at the state level, it might be better. (laughs) No. No. Andrew, you're so good on so many ways. And then you contradict yourself. Uh, I don't think states have any role in this no. private charity. You just talked yourself. It, yes. it's, it reminds me of uh, of Craig Biddle. Craig Biddle gave the knockdown dragout case against the Ground Zero mosque and, and then supported the, that, it should, that we should allow to have well, it. That was, that was years ago. That was years ago. But here he is. You know, he gives this great argument against you know government being involved state, yeah. in charity yeah. based on need. And then he says, oh, well, maybe the states could do it. But I, I, I really like that he's given it to Krauthammer because Krauthammer is such a snob. I mean, I, I don't use that word, but he is an absolute snob. If you see him on the quote-unquote all-star panel, that's embarrassing. The all-star panel, the, the all-star Fox panel, he's on there, and he's always, like, trashing a tea party. Subtle ways, not so subtle ways, trashing Ted Cruz. It's, it's just he's a liberal through and through oh, yeah. who calls himself a Republican and a quote-unquote conservative. When he goes on John Stewart, he's very at home, and he comes out and says well, things that and, he never said before. Well, and, and McCarthy says yes, that. He yes. says basically people like Krauthammer 
feel like they can say what they truly think like, to John Stewart. Absolutely. And, and, like, and, oh, and, and, I'm at home finally. Well, and he knows that Stewart's audience will be receptive to him is yes. a point that McCarthy made here. Which is what I guess you have to do because maybe he sold some more uh, books, you know. Oh, yeah. Got to sell those books. Populist, populist, like, like Bill O'Reilly. But again, you know, it's also funny. Bob Beckel and Charles Kreihammer w- worked for Mondale. So he was a speechwriter. I don't, I don't know what Becca was. Maybe he was right. a bouncer you know, at a bar. Anyway, another thing that, uh, that McCarthy does very well in here is explain in detail exactly why Social Security is a Ponzi scheme, right? This whole idea that we think we're paying into some fund, but that actually it's not even there. He says the government raided the, quote, trust funds for its sundry pro- prolificacies. I cannot even pronounce his well, vocabulary in his words. Right? So, sundry prolificacies, right? They're spending pro- uh, prolifically. Uh, he says, so the accounts we are, de- yeah, yeah the, the accounts that we're deceived into thinking we are paying into and which would be there for us compounding interest if these were not government redistribution programs do not exist. He says they're unfunded liabilities that even in rosy scenario analysis exceed $60 trillion over the next 75 years, which is 400% of GDP. So this is garbage. It's never going to be paid. We are being uh, stolen from. I see that McCarthy has also toned down his verbiage, you know, because sometimes he puts some words there that are just totally unnecessary, like flew perfectly. You know, well, I mean, I, I just, I don't, there, there I don't be, care for that stuff. There I, might I, be I a difference in the way that he writes for a book versus writing possibly, for a blog. Because uh, I've read his books and it's like, it's just too much. He has an amazing vocabulary. He does, but tone it down. I mean, I was like, flew perfectly, just say perfect. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was listening to an interview that Don Watkins had done with, I forget the name the of writer, the author, yeah. and one of the pieces of advice that the, the writer had given was, write simply Which and plainly. Which is what Rand as, and also uh, Leonard uh, Peikoff also says, come on, but communicate, McCarthy, communicate, communicate. I think McCarthy does actually speak the way that he writes in his blog. I think he doesn't necessarily speak the way he writes in a, in a book. I don't know why he does it. it, it, it it's off-putting. But that's it how undercuts, he no, but it that's, undercuts him. That's the vocabulary that comes to him. He is very, you know, it, very It's so educated. funny. He's very New York. You know, and you hear it in his accent. I mean, he, he sounds like uh, Giuliani. I mean, almost exactly. He actually worked for Giuliani. Mm-hmm. He has the same New York accent. He's a great guy. He's been very good. You know, I, I, I got to meet him a few times and debate him, actually, about Islam. He, he's excellent. He's been particularly good about these issues. It's funny. I wish he would take this kind of attitude of detecting who is and who is not a conservative and taking it to Islam. Right. You know, I really course, wish you'd do that. Uh, towards the end of this piece, he is very good in, in uh, discussing Paul Ryan. Because listen to this, oh. Krauthammer suggested that John Stewart look to Paul Ryan as the Ooh. best exemplar of today's quote unquote oh. conservatism. Republican. And, and, and uh, McCarthy says this made perfect sense. He says, Representative Ryan, as I've observed before, has supported creation of the Bush prescription yes. drug entitlement, yes. which added trillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities. He supported TARP. He supported Keynesian so-called stimulus spending. He's a Wisconsin and, Republican, meaning a liberal. And the auto company bailout. Yep. Ryan's proposals, says McCarthy, are markedly better than Obama's. He says, although AWOL on Social Security, he would restructure Medicare to allow younger people the option of getting into a voucher system. He said he would also preserve Medicaid, but block grants to the states and the blah, blah. He would add, quote, only another $3 trillion to the national debt over the eight years, which is less than half. Uh, than what the president will be adding. One observation I got to make from uh, Robert right here. He goes, William F. Buckley was the champion of using obscure words to appear snobbishly intelligent. Absolutely true. And he had a really terrible uh, 
uh, the way he enunciated words. He, he almost had like a British accent. He was even though he was he was he was from New York. Well, one thing also, Rush uh, mentions Iron Rand far more than he ever mentions William F. Buckley Jr. And he and he held you know constantly you know on the show. William F. Buckley Jr. is one of my heroes. But Buckley was on his show once, and he was using his whole language and all that crap that, that he used. And uh, Rush was in the background trying to hold his laughter. He was just laughing, I think, at the way he was speaking, because sometimes he made fun of him. So that's just, you know, he basically respects Rand far more than he ever did. Buckley. Yeah, and, and some of that, you know, is the, the fallacy of prestige jargon, which I would throw at Buckley more than I would say about oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, McCarthy. No, no. McCarthy, no, no, McCarthy is, is not, not a snobbish guy at no, all. I just, no. it's, it's, it's a habit, it's a tick of his. And he, <laughs> he has to, it, it undercuts, because you're reading a sentence, you'd be like, well, oh. Well, and he mentions Buckley in here. Yeah, so a, he probably read example. a lot of Buckley, oh, and that's part of the, did. whatever you read a lot of, you're going to absorb, and it's going to become part of the way that you communicate. <laughs> <laughs> Robert NYC in the chat room writes, he says, I loved Rand's, Ayn Rand's first word to Buckley, which was, you are far too intelligent to believe in God. And he never, he wanted to make her pay for that, probably. Of course, that's an argument from intimidation, but whatever. It's a a great line. And uh, Buckley has tried to make her pay for that ever since, because, I mean, she died a few years ago, but remember, he wrote a book, something right, and he Mm -hmm. had Ayn Rand as a character, had inner monologues with her, as if she would be saying the things that she was saying. It's pathetic. Just to, just to finish up here, when you were talking about McCarthy writing about Paul, you know, um, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, yeah. Not Rand Paul, Paul Ryan. Rand Paul Ryan, maybe. No. Um, when he's talking about what, you know, what Paul Ryan prescribes versus Obama, he says, this is not constitutional conservatism. It is moderate statism. Mm, he says, or to repeat, the current Republican establishment, quote, is more sympathetic to Obama's case for the welfare state than to the Tea Party's case for limited government and individual Absolutely. liberty. End quote. Bravo, and, and, Andrew McCarthy. No doubt he's getting heat yeah. for that. No doubt about it. Because this is this notion that you shouldn't, uh, you know, criticize fellow Republicans. These are these are statists. They're yes. hacks. Yes. And uh, Democrat Hammer is a hack. Always has been. Definitely. So, who are the potential? Saviors, certainly not Paul Ryan. No way, he sucks. Certainly not many in the Senate. Plus, you know, Paul Ryan. The only reason he ever, ever, anyone ever, ever gave a damn about him, at least on the, you know, the real intelligence people, was that he was into Iran, rent, and then he kicks her under the bus for political convenience. He's a hack. So we're back to Ted, Ted Cruz, Cruz. Ted Cruz, and Mike, Mike Lee. Lee, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and here we are. Story. I think maybe just published today. I think I found it through. Yeah, November first. Court reinstates most of Texas's new abortion rules. And it says a federal appeals court on Thursday. So they did this yesterday, story published today. Federal appeals court on Thursday ruled that most of a Texas tough new abortion restrictions can take effect immediately. A decision that means a third of the state's clinics that perform the procedure won't be able to do so starting as soon as Friday today. A panel of judges at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans said the law requiring doctors to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital can take effect while a lawsuit challenging the restrictions moves forward. The panel issued the ruling three days after Judge Lee Yeekel had said the provision serves no medical purpose. You know, that's the thing. You have to have these judges. Well, does this 
provision of the legislation serve a medical purpose? Right. They're judges. They're not doctors. Right. I, I mean, uh, anyway, it says that in its 20-page ruling, the appeals court panel acknowledged that the provision, quote, may increase the cost of accessing an abortion provider and decrease the number of physicians available to perform abortions, end quote. In other words, destroy the careers of a bunch of doctors. Um, However, the panel said that the U.S. Supreme Court has held that, quote, having the incidental effect of making it more difficult or more expensive to procure an abortion cannot be enough to invalidate a law that serves a valid purpose, one not designed to strike at the right itself, end quote. So, yeah, you still have a right to do it, but we're just going to tell you that in order to exercise that right, you have to drive two more, you know, two more hours or you have to pay a couple hundred more dollars, whatever. I mean, suppose you have the prospect, you know, they, they have such great genetic testing now that you can find out at 10 weeks yeah. whether you uh, are potentially going to have a Down syndrome baby right. that in some cases, certain types of the genetic um, defects, they never have any kind of a life and, in fact, will often die before age two or four or earlier. Which, uh, which, some, which is why so, some religionists don't ever get those tests because they don't want to you yeah, know, they, get an abortion. They, they don't want to know in advance. Uh, the, the traditional Down syndrome will you know, not have a great quality of life at all. And basically you're going to be a caretaker up until, what, the age of 30 or so, at which point... They w- they die early anyway. That's my understanding of, of what happens with Down syndrome. Uh, then there's another type of similar type of genetic modification where they don't even make it to term. So we're talking 27, 33 weeks or so nope. miscarriage. Nope. So you're carrying and carrying and carrying and getting attached and getting attached, and then you're going to have this miscarriage before the child is even born. Of course, that's probably the most humane no. option of some of these. So imagine, right? So you've, you've discovered that this is, and you decide you want to have an abortion, which I think you have every right to do. Yes. I don't think that you have to be enslaved to somebody who has no real human quality of life for however many years. And some people can't afford the price that this would take. Physically, who, mentally. Who, who's going to adopt and you don't want to send that out in the world. I mean, there's financially. plenty of rational reasons to this. And, and again, if you tell me you say, well, Amy, I believe that life begins at conception and therefore there are rights. Rights objectively in government can belong only to individuals. And if you have a fetus, particularly before viability, we are not talking about individuals at all. We, you know, we're, we're talking about potential human beings. And you know, the mere fact that lifelike processes begin at conception doesn't mean that rights begin at conception. Well, people, who that, do not begin at conception. people who believe that should have conception days instead of birthdays. You know? And if, you, you know, if, if you're going to make arguments that rights begin at conception, then you're going to have to be arguing based on some sort of religious doctrine, yes. a religious conception of when life begins. And I don't believe in the United States that people have the right to enforce their religious beliefs on other people. You can believe it's wrong. You can try to persuade people. You can hopefully try to get people not to conceive in the first place if they don't want babies, all these things. I mean, there's, there's many cases in which I would agree with a religious person that a particular case of an abortion was immoral. But you have to leave people free and have this right at least up to viability. Yeah. And this idea, oh, well, you know, we're just making it more expensive and fewer doctors can do it. We destroyed this career over there, that over there. 
there is the actual life of the woman or of the parents who would have their hearts broken and have their whole life basically being a caretaker for someone who never has a true human existence. That's right. the kind of stuff that you're talking about. Or, you know, and somebody who was raped. Or, and speaking of Rick Santorum, uh, his daughter, and he says uh, she's the most physically... I mean, what is she? What's her thing? She has a terrible, terrible disease. She has one of these. Well, she will die within a very it, short. It, it's not Down syndrome. It's a, it's another type of a genetic. She'll die within a very, very short period. And he said yeah. that she's the best out of all his kids. She she's the best because <laughs> she doesn't understand reality. It's just unbelievable. And I think that's it. Okay. I, I, I mean, that's that's behind his malevolence. I mean, yeah, I think he, you're right. he truly thinks not understanding reality is the best way he's to go. He's an enemy of the pursuit of happiness. Literally, literally. If you were called during the debates. He's an enemy of the pursuit of happiness. Yep. Because it, it is my wall. If happiness might, you know, it might do something that I don't like. Therefore, that's not really good. You cannot have the unrestricted Can pursuit you of happiness. Indulge me for a minute or no? I, really, I want to go it, ahead. It and was just, about this. Um, it was a jump off of this. I wrote something and it was it, it got shared and it got a lot of it started a lot of conversation about okay, about, about these issues. Yeah, I'm sorry. Ahead. Quick. This is I said as an atheist. The reason I cannot support Ted Cruz is because he is religious and against abortion and gay marriage. Therefore, since those issues are the only issues that matter, I must support someone who is not religious and who is for abortion and gay marriage, Barack Obama, dot, 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 and Islamist peace. So I wrote, I said, basically, most Americans are religious, as are the conservatives I admire most, namely Mark Levin and Ted Cruz. But abortion and gay marriage are not their main concerns. Whatever, you know, issues that, that yeah. they take, they're not their main concerns. No, I know. They're not. But he's making it enough of his concern that it is he's giving ma- well, me. Well, for us, TV. every time he brings it up, it's it's like whoa. But it's not his main his main issues is pu- pushing back, rolling back government. Anyway, so I wrote here. I, I said uh, doing their part to restore our constitutional republic is that's their main issue. Le- Mark Levin rarely mentions social issues on his show and opted to stay clear of social issues in his book, The, the Liberty Amendments. And I can't recall Cruz discussing these issues in his 21-hour filibuster or any, any of his recent radio and te- television appearances since. Mm-hmm. And let's say that Cruz becomes president and attempts to force his religious beliefs on the country. He can be fought and will be fought the way Obama is being fought. We can just completely go, you know, go off on him. Right, right. But said, let me, let me, let me give... Second. Ted Cruz read extensively from Ayn Rand, not the Bible, during his filibuster. He has called Ayn Rand an atheist, one of his quote-unquote all-time heroes. As a religious person, Cruz overlooks Rand's atheism because he shares some very important values with her, namely love for America and the concept of limited government. And because of Cruz's great value to the country today, a Republican who is willing to fight to be called a terrorist for it by Democrats and, 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 and Republicans, yet remain unflappable, I admire him despite his religiosity as he admires Rand despite her atheism. And okay. yes, I will say. So now I show you, now I show you, you having read that, I show you the post from Senator Ted Cruz 20 hours ago on Facebook. I have the link to this post on my blog at DontLetItGo.com. He posts this same story about the court, you know, the Federal Court of Appeals reinstating most of the Texas abortion restrictions. And he says that this is, quote, good news for the safety of Texas women and their unborn children. And then he puts the tag, hashtag, stand for life. Yeah. I know. This makes me very nervous. Senator it does, Cruz, it does here as Senator well. Cruz, I hereby advise you just to don't talk about this. And certainly I would hope that you would modify your political agenda to not include this. And, and I, think, I think Tea Party types, people who truly want to limit the size and scope That's of government... Issue. They have a potential right now to actually win the next election. Someone like Ted Cruz Can. could win an election. He could. But if he goes up there with, 
abortion and gay marriage and of the course. blah, 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 blah. You know, but, like, again, again, any restrictions that you want to oppose on abortion, they are based on a religious conception of when rights begin. Lifelike processes, yes, they begin at conception. But the only thing to, that you could do to assign rights to that would be from a religious standpoint. If you're doing it from a secular standpoint, making arguments about individual rights, rights belong to individuals. They don't belong to groups, right? There are no group rights, nor are there rights that belong to parts of individuals. And physically, that's what a fetus is. It, it, you know what must it, be done? It, it's a part of a woman. You know what must be done? I mean this. You, yeah. you still have to try. Get them on your show. I would like to get them on your show. Interview them about this issue and just basically pressure them to the point where Will he try to do anything politically? Yeah. And he has to go on record about it and say, look, these are my private beliefs, and I stand by them on, in, in, in his own principles, in his own faith, but I will not do anything to try to force them on the, on, the, on the country. The laws are what they are. Now, I need to hear that from him. It's very important. Well, we're hearing basically the opposite. And Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, this is truly your opening to save the country. And if your idea is, well, I don't want to save the country. Instead, I want yeah, to foist my beliefs about what an unborn fetus is. Let me say is. this, though. He I does do. mention this every so often. To us, it's a big deal. It's a big red light. But he doesn't bring this up often. Almost I mean, he brought it up a couple his, times in the last few days because of this story. Because of the story. One thing is, when we see him on, on television and radio, he never talks about this. He never offers it. If he's asked about it, if he's pressured, whatever this is, he, I guess he has to answer for it. And, he, and he'll do it to some religious you know, meeting group. And it's an issue. It, it, I'm, I'm not dismissing the, the importance of it. But where we are right now, you know, th this is a guy who's willing to fight the good fights. And as long as he tells us in, in no uncertain terms... I will not try to, you know, force this on, on anyone. I will not try to make an executive order. I will not try to get the, the House and Senate if we, if we haven't try to undo I, I, these I laws. In, I lean in the chat room says, um, how can they say that the rights of the fetus trump the real rights of the living, breathing woman who is pregnant? And I, I yes, agree. And, and, and they it. do. I mean, now, Ed, Ed and Robert in the chat room both say this. They say, why pressure Cruz and make him an enemy? Well, he's, it's not an enemy. They say he's, an amaz he's amazingly silent on this issue in which if he were pro-abortion rights, he can never be nominated in the Republican Party, even your own Brooke Wecker. I don't know that that's true today. I think that if he says, I'm personally against abortion and I it's will a private matter. speak out against it, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to he do needs anything. He to say that. That I have so much work to do in order to limit the size and scope. Now, does this mean I wouldn't vote for him and I wouldn't eventually support him? No. But I think, look... There is a real opening here to have a lot bigger umbrella of support, particularly in light of this next uh, article that I have posted at DontLetItGo.com. And the headline is, fringe, question mark, 42% of likely voters say that their views are closest to the Tea Party. Now, mind you, if you go to the Rasmussen poll, people are given the option. They say, are you more like Obama or are you more like the Tea Party? So it was 42% Tea Party, 42% right. Obama. Right. What a question to ask, yeah. But, I'm, but, but some I'm, of those people who said Obama, I mean, again, they're worried about being called racist. So uh, Obama, some of them, the, the weaklings sure. among them will probably say Obama because sure. they're weak. But I, I'm thinking that there's a real opening here. And I think if, if, he, if he doesn't push that any more than he already is. One second. Uh, Harry Reid, the rat, Harry Reid said, Cruz presidential nomination will end GOP. If he actually thought that, he wouldn't say that. But go on. 
Robert NYC says, get Cruz in, warts and all, because he's better than the others. Yeah, I, I will. You'll, you'll drag me kicking and screaming. I'll do it. But I, I don't like I don't like it either. I don't like that. I don't, so like, I'm I, gonna, I don't like his opposition to gay marriage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it. I'm definitely going to talk but you know about what? it. Again, one second. These people like uh, Cruz, right? He has a principal stance against these things, right? Uh, religiously, right? Uh, the left, they don't care for rights. They don't care for, for right. gay couples getting married or for the rights of, as they mm-hmm. call it, you know. They don't. It's all about, because uh, think about it, they all passed Obamacare, which mm-hmm. is anti-rights. But we, we have almost no time left, and I wanted to grab a couple things. Do you have that little clip from I the do. Atlas Shrugged app on iTunes that we can play here? How's, how's the volume on it? I don't know. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. Here's the opening for Tea Party as discussed by Ayn Rand decades Late 70s, ago. Late 70s, early <laughs> 80s, possibly. Okay, listen to this. Since Congress has collectivized us for the Internal Revenue Service. What can be done to stop them? Is it time for another Tea Party? It's been time long ago, but the only thing one can do is a matter of ideas. It is ideas that have brought the Internal Revenue Service on us. The public, particularly the non-intellectual public, is very much with you, and it's only ideas that can produce a reform in government and in that kind of aspects of government. Okay. Again, so, the guy said, is it time for a tea party? She goes, it was time long ago. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and she saw that, and I think people are seeing it finally today, yes. in part thanks to Santelli and other people who have brought to their attention. The soundbite is from the Atlas Shrugged app. Right. The common ideas are all around limiting the size and scope of government. We have to get out of here. Go check out don'tletitgo.com to make comments on today's show, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good weekend, everyone.